Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I am producer Bill. And today, our episode is simply about Wakanda Forever, a.k.a. Black Panther 2. It is our musings on the film. It will get spoilerific. And towards the end of the conversation, we're going to talk about what it means for the future of the MCU. So I open up the floor to you guys. I'll start with Ron, and then I'll go with uh, go to Bill. So first impressions, what did you guys think of the flick? What was interesting for me was, like, it didn't feel like a long movie. It was two hours and 40 minutes, and it did not feel like a long movie. I love how they handled Bozeman's uh, – Bozeman? <laughs> Chadwick's, uh, I'm like, Bozeman, like, he's my buddy. I just refer to him as last name. <laughs> your your buddy like, at work? Hey, man, Bozeman. Bozeman yeah. got uh, got cast in this Black Panther movie. Yeah, you I know. know. <laughs> my buddy Bozeman. Uh, Wait, but, why is using his first name less familiar than using his last name? I don't know. That's a great point. I don't know, because, you know, like, you played sports. You know, like, you call your buddy you played sports with by his last name. Yeah, I guess. All right. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, I feel like they did a great job, like paying homage to him and, and being respectful of the whole thing um, and really like bringing some real life sort of like cathartic moments uh, for not only his real life death, but for the death of uh, the character as well. So overall, mm-hmm. had a good time and I loved Riri. Mm. So. All right, Bill. I think this one was a middle of the road Marvel movie for me. And there might be a couple things working against it that are just like my own issues. I will say, number one, I was somewhat disappointed that you get to the end of the movie and you're just like, oh, this was just the trailers. Like there there wasn't anything in there that was so oh. surprising or interesting to me that I didn't just see in the trailers. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. kind of sucked. And then number two... I guess this is kind of tied up with number three as well. So number two, I feel like they, meaning the filmmakers and the cast, really needed to do this movie to sort of exercise their feelings about Chadwick Boseman's past, passing. But I almost feel like they were doing it more than the audience needed, if that makes sense. Mm. Like the movie almost felt the movie almost felt indulgent in its sadness and that kind of killed it for me. But I also think, like I said, this, this really overlaps with one of my own issues. I feel like they did a Koye really dirty in this movie and I wasn't happy about it. And (laughs) Shuri has always been one of my least favorite Wakanda characters. And the fact that this movie was so in your face, heavily just about her and her arc while re- like literally sidelining Okoye just rubbed me the wrong way. So that was a part of it as well. All that said, there's a lot of enjoyable shit. Ron's totally right. It moved. It ha- it does ha- it does some interesting things with characters, but I would say it does interesting things with characters that don't actually pay off in this movie. It's like they do set up some really interesting stuff for moving forward, but I wish that some of those potential ramifications would have come in the second half of this movie rather than just sort of resetting a status quo where we're like, Oh, this will be really good in the future. So that's sort of my 30,000 foot view. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Personally, I think even if it is that, even if it is in the overarching scheme of Marvel, more Ultron than Avengers, you know what I mean? Or, or you know, or, or, or rather uh, Age of Ultron rather than the first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Even if it is that, I I don't know, man. I think that that's kind of a triumph given what they were given because everybody fucking knows all the fucking neckbeards talking about, well, when did Shiri know how to fight? Number one, she comes from a weird secret warrior culture. And even in the first movie where she was just shooting goofy gauntlets she had time to run and put some face paint on <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know what i'm saying to, to like show that all right we about to fight let me go put my shit on my fighting shit which kind of intones that they'd be fighting so i I'm not, i don't really care i'm i'm of the school of like spider-man right spider-man is a rough and tumble fighter he doesn't know how to fight any of the comics that try to train him in fighting are stupid as fuck and totally unnecessary imagine how dexterous and agile you would be if your 140 pound body could now bound off the walls and and you could you could fucking broad jump 40 feet 
like the moves you could think to do when you 100%. have that much kinesthetic control of your body and that much power are unimaginable until you get that much power. You can't train to be that fresh. You know what I'm saying? So I really felt as though uh, Shuri's cat-like movements and shit got over on me. Her her lithe version of the Black Panther. I personally was was an Okoye truther as well. Yeah. I was like, okay, they're gonna find a way to make it okay for Okoye to be the Black Panther, and it's gonna be fine. And then they didn't do that, I and I knew they weren't. I knew they weren't. I know. I knew they weren't because it's Shuri in the comics and blah yeah. blah. But yep. That's I where, knew they weren't too, but I agree. I would have loved, loved, loved her to get um, Okoye to get the, the Black Panther mantle. And it's it's interesting because I think my complaint that it was, oh, there wasn't much more to it than what we just saw in the trailers also came down to the fact that it, I was hoping for them to, to zig where we were expecting them to zag, right? Like you walk into the movie and you're set up to just think, well, yeah, Shuri's the princess and her brother dies. So she's going to come to power and in coming to power, she's going to become Black Panther. But I'm over here thinking I'm playing three dimensional chess being like, well, if you remember in Civil War, there was the king and Black Panther was a totally different role. And so mm-hmm. your ruler doesn't have to be the Black Panther. The Black Panther is just the protector of Wakanda. So mm-hmm. what if they split those responsibilities and then they just didn't? And like it's fine, but I just ended up being like, man. But in the end, they yeah. actually did, though. You're right. Given you're the right. fact that that Mbaku is going to be the king, more or less, and Shuri's going to be out doing her own thing. And the one thing I think people were like mad that the, the um that uh the person will I'll save it for the second half, but the person that she sees when she takes when she takes the shit and she's having her spirit journey. People were mad about that. I'm just like she's oh, an really? anti. She's an she's an anti traditionalist from the get go. Her first lines in the movie are like, "I got to take off this stupid ass corset." You know what I mean? I mean, her first lines in the challenge scene are like, "This corset is stupid. We don't need to do this. Nobody's fucking with my brother. Can we all go home?" That's her main jam from the get go. Mm-hmm. So to make this movie, this movie making her actually somewhat believably shun the mantle was interesting to me her only interest in the heart-shaped herb was to save her brother and once that that was not a thing she said fuck it and she basically stopped trying to make it you know what mm-hmm. i mean and she was like the black panther is some goofy shit anyway motherfuckers wearing costumes and shit i'll show you a costume i'll make this cool iron man suit to put on the dora milaje and shit that's my contribution this black panther shit is stupid and then to have her have to like do it at the end of I don't know, man. That that part really kind of got me, bro. I gotta yeah. say, I, I I felt it because they made her fight it so much. And again, it, it played into her character even in the first movie. Of this is some goofy shit. That's some goofy shit from my brother. Yeah, agreed on that. I mean, that moment when she appears in costume on the prow of the battleship with the army behind her and starts screaming "Ibombe!" like totally goosebump inducing moment like unquestionably and even this movie did a really interesting thing that i was hoping they wouldn't cross the line on and they didn't and that was from the beginning she was a very anti-spiritual person she didn't buy into the idea that you're going to travel to the ancestral plane and you're going to pray and communicate with the elders she thought that was all bullshit And I felt like, oh, man, they're really setting her up to have some sort of like religious conversion. And they didn't. And I think the smartest one of the smarter choices in the movie was the appearance of. I mean, at this point, we're already into spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's bust it. Let's bust it. More spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. I thought one of the most one of the most interesting choices was the appearance of Killmonger in her vision and the things he was saying to her because mm-hmm. it reflected back to her like this is what's going on in your mind. And I love right. that interpretation that like taking the herb and visiting the spiritual plane maybe is not quite a literal thing. Maybe it is as she saw it just a construct of her mind to help her reconcile what she's going through. Mm-hmm. But seeing Killmonger within that context is one of the more disturbing and challenging things she could have experienced. I thought that was great. 
And as, yep. far, as far as these people who want to be idiots about costumes and shit, those little flecks of gold in her suit that mimic some of the shit from Killmonger's suit. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's perfect. I mean, literally when she chose, which when she was looking at the suits to choose and she chose that one, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. She wants to kill his motherfucker because he killed his, he, she killed her, he killed her mom right in front of her and she didn't do shit and she couldn't save her brother and she couldn't, you know, like there's these great through lines of this. And then when she makes that decision, everyone understands that decision. Well, let me ask you guys this. How did you feel about her final decision with Namor sort of echoing Black Panther's first appearance in Civil War and how that ended? I loved it personally. It's also kind of goes into the thing that I really enjoy in comics is people being pushed um pushed pushed to go go to what might seem reasonable but really isn't the right thing to do mm. and then making the right decision. It's one of my favorite things in comic books. It's one of my favorite tropes in movies in general. I love being pushed to that that dark side and almost going to the dark side but then when you're on the precipice, there's that, there's that part. Uh, it's it's in a it's in a in a the Batman. Um, uh, it's a, in a Batman cartoon where he's facing Owl Man. Um, it's Earth One, I think it, it, it is is what it is. But uh, he's facing Owl Man. Um, it's actually Justice League, but he's facing Owl Man, and you know. Owl Man's like, you've seen the precipice, you've seen the darkness within everybody, and yet here you are fighting me. And then he's like, the difference between you and I is we both looked into the void and you blinked. Hmm. And it was like, the point being like, he didn't give up just because he saw the darkness, he fought the darkness. And I feel like that's one of the things that that uh, Shuri's character does. And I love it when you do that. So there you go. Well, I, I I love the technologist slant in here because, like, obviously there are people who are campaigning and saying that Riri Williams wasn't necessary, and and also that Valentina, whatever the fuck, you know, that the Countess, that she wasn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, Julie Louis Dreyfus character, that she wasn't necessary, nor was nor was Bilbo, and I'm just like, bro, the fucking point of all these espionage characters is to show that there's a real world. Imagine watching two hours and 40 minutes of, uh, as that goofy tweet said, uh, uh, like underwater Mexican dudes fighting super technological black dudes, like two hours and 40 minutes of that. No, that doesn't make it real to the audience. I'm sorry. It doesn't. You need these white folks and you need these. Right. It reinforces the world stakes of this. And the fact that if the world even found out about this conflict. It's serious business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we already – it's important to know that they're trying to get vibranium from the Wakandans. Like that's an important part of it and that there's one good guy who's really fighting against how stupid it is that they're trying to do this. And adding in – and then the, that's what brings – I mean you get rid of that. You don't even have a plot. You just ha- – that doesn't make any sense. But also, also just really quickly, the fucking vibranium arms race is the is the beginning of the so-called armor wars that are going to take place in Marvel going forward. Tony Stark technology, Stark tech in general, fucking especially the mobile suits and shit, even Ultron bots, all this different shit is going to become like prime real estate for all these powers that be trying to seek this weird power void and shit. And so, like, the vibranium I, – I like the vibranium creep, and I like the fact that, like, Riri, who was, what, 12 or 13 when Black Panther jumped on the scene and started doling out a little technology to Oakland, a little bit here, a little bit there. In Chicago, she's like, these Wakandan mother- – she wanted to be recruited by the Wakandans more than the Avengers. I think that showing that type of character and also Bilbo, uh, Martin Freeman, and, uh, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character, they – are there to make the world real and to show the impact of the Wakandans on the actual real world. That's what they're there for. Like yeah. questioning what they're there for is like really stupid to me, honestly, especially given the way that the story is constructed. I agree with that, but 
I would argue that they should have pushed that further. I think that's the oh, yeah. crux. Yeah. That's the crux of what I was talking about, where I felt like, man, there was a lot of great setup in this movie, and I wish they would have paid it off a little more in this movie. Yeah. Um, number one, I think Riri Williams was great in this. I think in a lot of ways, this was what they were trying to do with America Chavez in Multiverse of Madness, mm. where you have a character who's kind of the MacGuffin of the plot, and then yeah. they themselves have to sort of grow into a role with help from the superheroes. That's um, a great call, Bill, real quick. Yeah. That's a fucking great call because it was so underwhelming, but it's the exact same device yeah. in Multiverse of Madness, it, but it was so underwhelming for me, and I wondered what that was. Riri didn't have that much more character development, but it was just enough, just enough for the city. It yeah. was just enough. I think some of it comes down to the performance. Um, and I think the other part of it comes down to like the performances and the the plot logic that you're surrounded with. And I think a mm -hmm. lot of that was just straight up better in Black Panther. Mm -hmm. The other thing I did want to say though, I thought that the first act of this movie was immaculate. And that yep. showdown between Queen Ramonda and France and the U.S. Oh, in that United oh. Nations room, hot, yeah, so good, dude. So, and it's, like the way that they yeah. intercut it with the with the Black Ops team trying to steal the vibranium, and then the door Melage bursting into the room, fucking hot shit, right? Yeah, I just feel like they lost the thread of that. Like somehow that turns into Julia Louis Dreyfus and Martin Freeman having like this sort of semi comedic runner through the movie. When really mm -hmm. everything you're saying, Ed, is so valid. Like that is the beginning of international destabilization and a new arms race over superhero tech. Like mm -hmm. I just wish that was more present in the movie once you got once you got past the first Namor attack. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's just it's just funny how um, I don't know, man. I I really think if you told me that a movie was going to develop Namor or, or Namor, Namor. Uh, if, if you told me that a movie was going to develop a Namor that I actually gave a fuck about at all. Yep. And then it was this skinny little goofy Black Panther and I was going to like it. And then it was going to posit a world where the future of the Black Panther is basically Shuri off on missions doing what the fuck she wants because she is the Black Panther and, the, and her Black Panther does different shit to, and she doesn't have anybody to report to. So she's going to leave the fucking kingdom in Baku's hands. That means by definition, she's going out mm -hmm. to affect the world. That like status quo like gives me kind of chills almost. You know what I'm saying? The, the Black Panther being an agent in the world, not being drawn out by tragedy, an agent in the world for change. That's some goose pimple shit for me personally, given you know the cultural significance of all the, all the shit. I mean, I think that's essentially their version of the West Coast Avengers, right? Yep. Like you're going to get the Thunderbolts team led by, I guess, the CIA. Now we know who the Countess is in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I think then your sort of splinter rogue Avengers team that's going to be off doing their own thing is going to be the Black Panther team. And so, you know, I don't know what that Thunderbolts movie is going to be. I think there's a lot of machinations left to happen before then. But clearly... They're setting up a world wherein you have a bunch of various superhero factions all with their own agendas. I mean, even beyond Thunderbolts and whatever Black Panther goes on to create, you're then going to also have Nick Fury and his cosmic people who are dealing with secret invasion. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have all the magic characters, maybe Midnight Suns, Defenders, whatever that ends up being. Mm -hmm. Plus whatever they spin out of the Eternals, if anything, with like your mega cosmic characters. I mean there's going to be at least four different factions of quote unquote Avengers and how that gets settled. I don't know, but I think it's an interesting status quo. Yeah. And I got to always mention one thing in this movie that I think is interesting because you, you know what a lot, a lot of what people complain about when they're complaining about the MCU in general and why they liked some of the Snyderverse stuff is they're like, well, it's like a more realistic look at, at, at what heroes would bring into the world. And I want to point out, that this is the most realistic shit you will ever see in and like compared to comic books or, or or whatever because this is exactly what governments would do they would fight over vibranium they would fight over power and they would try to get it by any means necessary because that's what they do all the time and so i love that they brought some real world sort of I don't know, reality to this, but without doing it in such a like 
like ridiculously shitty way. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I think what we're what we were seizing on earlier, what Bill was like, I want them to push farther with yes, with that. They're going. To. I think the MCU has trained us to get that information in sitcom scenes. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The MCU in yeah. general, if you take a look That's back, true. in general, they give us this type of heady information as like a fucking mini Taj and they're all fucking around like, hey, where can we all line up to get the fucking the fucking jewels? And it's a funny scene. It's like a sitcom fucking montage, but it's so serious. And like they're they're goofy like marriage relationship spoilers. They were they were married. Um, that thing being used to deliver this. Oh, well, yeah, I bugged the Kamoyo beads, and what we're going to do is destabilize them now. That's what we got to do. And it was just like realistic, like you're saying, Ron, super fucking realistic. It's time to destabilize these motherfuckers. And now they can because the factions that are going to pop up with M'Baku, M'Baku's not going to be unopposed. And maybe under M'Baku, it might get a little... I don't know, man. Maybe Mbaku's not as progressive as people might like. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of Dora Milaje might buck under him. Weird different shit happens like in the comics. See, and that's the sort of thing that I just wish we would have been in this movie. Right, right. You know, and it's like I don't want to armchair quarterback because this movie was really well done. But it just felt a little bit like I wish that sort of thing more of the espionage, more of the political drama, the factionization, you know, the real fallout of we lost our king and now there's a power vacuum. I wish that would have been dramatized and it felt like they just took it all and sort of shelved it in favor of a lot of special effects driven superpowered shenanigans, which, and maybe this is just me, like Namor was so hardcore in this and I also found myself a little bit like, okay, can we get through him just tearing apart planes and shit? Like, it didn't hold my attention the way a good political drama threaded through this movie would have. Okay. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I was in a particular mood or whatever. But it just, again, it felt like that first act set up so much juicy shit. And you had yeah. the random appearance of Lake Bell as the CIA agent. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a pretty big name actress to just kind of throw mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, And then it's like, they just dropped that thread. And I that just kind of bummed me out. Like, I would have loved to have seen M'Baku feuding with, you know, uh, Ramonda's family from the beginning. And maybe you do see some splintering in Wakandan society. And, you know, it's like, I just... I didn't want it to just turn into Wakanda versus Talokan. And that's what it was. It's like, I wish there was a third arm of that. You know, I wish there was some subterfuge. I wish there was some more, not plot, like story plot, but like plotting some spy shit in there. Well, again, it's it's ticky tacky. Well, no, but you know what, though? I think what what ended up happening, I think I've diagnosed it from, from what you're talking about, what Ron was talking about, and what I think. I think what happened is you come up with this plot where vibranium is this big thing that affects the whole world and the whole world is looking at Wakanda. But then you have to make this secret war between the Talokan and Wakanda. So other people can't be involved. They can't know all this shit and they can't be able to splinter it because we got two hours, 40 minutes. We're going to spend about 50 minutes of it, 50 minutes of it with uh, Namor trashing planes and shit. So uh, we we got these previses that we got of him trashing some planes real cool. And we got whales and shit. So we got to like show those. So we're going to do that instead of that political bullshit. Now, and they just apportioned the time. And I just think the secretness of the war really got over on me, which Mm. is why I think, I think there's just enough, frankly, white people and the politics of the outer world. Let's call it. There's quite enough of that in here because they knew as much as they could know for the plot that was going on. And I, I really felt like, a lot of times when we have warring cultures, it's really over some super stupid shit and nobody's really motivated properly. But like Ramonda being like, you know what? No, you're not going to kidnap anybody on my watch. I'm going to send somebody down there and fuck you up. You think you're in the sea that you're safe? As warrior and queen, how long do you think you could hide yeah. my daughter from me? You know what I mean? And sends Nakia down there and she... Nakia got a fat ass dog. Let's just take a break. Let's just take a break and appreciate Lupita Nyong'o, a.k.a. Nakia, 
She has the fattest warrior ass. She's so beautiful. She was Christ. She was looking. She was looking so good in this. She was, and I mean, like that's saying something. Like she was looking as good as she's ever looked in this goddamn movie. Oh, so fine, and like, and she, you totally could feel that she could do that shit. Like when she was skulking around Talokan, that was real as fuck to me. I was like, and then then she and she ends up capping one of them, and she's just like, "Yo, I got my orders, bro." I got to get you up out of here. And then it's just like, no, you don't understand. And, you know, and like, I love the whole, like somebody on Twitter pointed out, it's almost like a, it's a fairy tale, which is like the prince who steals another princess or the king or whatever, or the God that steals a princess communes with her, tries to get her to understand his point of view. She leaves him, goes, goes away from Hades or the underworld or whatever you want to call it. And then they come back and they clash. And then there's an understanding between the two peoples after it. And he like painted it in a mural, like to commemorate it, like a storybook. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. It's touches like that that elevate this from, I think, Age of Ultron territory. We're talking about middle of the road Marvel movie. Okay, we're talking about Age of Ultron. We're talking about arguably Iron Man 3. We're talking about, we're talking about middle of the road, not weak. We're talking about middle of the road. And I'm looking at the middle of the road ones. And I think this is trouncing some of the middle of the road ones. I won't put it up above Winter Soldier and stuff. But some of the stuff that we call middle of the road, like, I don't know. This is better than fucking Ant-Man 1. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, this, you know, All that's right, you why watch it's your just... mouth, okay? I don't think you <laughs> be smirching my Ant-Man 1, okay? That's your favorite word. You know what I think? You know what I think this is? I, like I think smirching. this is no better, but also no worse than the first Black Panther. Yes. So maybe well, it let's is talk as- about that for a minute. Let's let's well, let's really drill down on that real quick, guys, because I have heard rumblings of like some people think this is way better than Black Panther. I don't know where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. And some people think that way- Black Panther is way better than this. And I kind of don't know where that's coming from. I feel like they're of a piece yeah. and the piece has been removed. You know what I'm so- saying? Like a main chess piece removed, but it's still the same board. The yeah. one thing that somebody pointed out to me, which I thought was interesting, I kind of halfway disagree with them, but I also think it's an interesting point, and I could see why some people would think that, is it's just like Killmonger better as a villain. Mm-hmm. Like a huge portion of people I've talked to, not a huge portion, just a few people, I should say, have, have been like, well, you know, I thought Namor was cool, but I don't completely understand where Namor is coming from, and I do understand where Killmonger is coming from, which I thought was weird. Because I understand where Namor is coming from because I was just like, yeah, he knows that the second they figure out Vibranium is in his land, they're going to come and try to take it. And now he's in a war uh, immediately when he's not quite ready to do the war he wants to do. And he knows that if he gets with with uh, Wakanda, that he's got all the firepower he needs. So it's like, that makes sense. I know that makes sense, but I could see where if you're not like because he because the way he stated it wasn't as like i don't know wasn't as elegant or as cool i guess i don't, I don't know. know man i like I, I think the fact that they showed you the flashback of like a 10 year old kid leading a massacre of a bunch of slavers and like that is essentially his origin story kind of tells the story pretty well I don't know how you come out of that going, I don't really get where Namor was coming from. Like, that's a weird take. <laughs> I know, but I've heard a couple people say it, and they just seem to like Killmonger better. Yeah. See, that's weird. I mean, I, I get that. That might be down to personal preference. I mean, I'm on yeah. record of, like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Michael B. Jordan. I think that role was really well written. But for me, in comparing them, I like Namor better, but I think I like the movie around him a little bit less. Like, I think I like the story and just the filmmaking, you know, the whole, the whole forest of the original black Panther a little bit more than this one. But I do think I like the villain in this one and his whole story a little bit more than the original. Okay. Ron, Ron, uh, uh, the, the original in, in those terms, like what, what, what do you think are the differences between the original and the, and this? I'm actually going to go third act. Mm -hmm. I like this third act better. I think that last fight scene between, between Shuri and Namor is dope as fuck. Yeah. And, and I think it's better than the, 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 uh, Killmonger Black Panther fight. Like, I I don't think that that should be sacrilege, bro. 
no, I don't think I, that that should be sacrilege. I just think this that I think that this third act was a tighter, more, and maybe they they did a better job on special effects, whatever it was. Uh, but I think that third act makes it to me a little bit tighter than the first Black Panther. I wouldn't put them above each other. I think you you're correct, Ed, that they're a piece because the first two acts of the Black Panther. Black uh, original Black Panther one is like I, I don't know in, unimpeachable. It's fucking great. So, well, I think my distinction. I mean, if I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna go forty thousand feet in the sky, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna look at it with laser eyes. I frankly like the action choreography in this one better. Um, yeah, I like Agreed. I like the action. I like the action choreography in this one better. I liked the staging of certain events better. Even even the idiotic blue versus red which they managed to do again you notice that these blue skin motherfuckers versus the red clad dermalaje i'm like wow you managed to do blue and red again in a goofy big battle again god damn god bless you kugler uh and and and, and, and joe robert cole that motherfucker joe robert cole that's a screenwriting motherfucker motherfucker like <laughs> these people and the words that they say to each other, like you said, in the first act, it establishes this world that's almost unimpeachable. Yeah. And then when they start fucking around in the middle, you know, doing some dipsy do, it's okay because you're you're still in this real world. And then they get super serious at the end, and you're like, oh, fuck, man. It's real again. You know what I mean? Like, Namor fighting her didn't feel like just an, a, a means to an end. It really felt like... I don't know, like a shift of power in the Marvel Universe. It felt like a, a revenge, like you getting your revenge on somebody who fucking killed your mom and realizing that you can't, like realizing that you actually can't for the greater everything, you know, because you can't be in endless war with these sea motherfuckers. They've already proven that they're dope as fuck. Yep. <laughs> and you're like not going to be in endless war with these sea people, which I love the fact that M'Baku is the one who raises that point. Yes. If you kill this guy, they treat him as a god. Okay, if you kill their god, they will never stop fucking with us. So, and and then her, and then and then you know what got me to cry? My girl was like crying like three, four times. I'm like, bitch, you gonna get dehydrated? You gonna be like, man, more? <laughs> you need to relax. Okay, mm-hmm. I was not crying. I ain't no bitch, but I straight up started crying with at the show them who you are. Oh yeah. When her mm. mom pops up, at least in her mind or from the spirit realm or whatever the fuck, and tells her to show them who you are, man. Mm. Ooh, I don't be uh, callbacks, you know, because we're comics. I we engineer callbacks. Yeah. It's it's a just a it's a process. But Jesus, it worked. God, yeah. it worked. It was so thematically dope. And uh and just I just want to just take a little no more break. His origin story sick as fuck. The way they yep. filmed all that sort of dreamlike apocalypto shit they were doing, and not yep. just because it's dealing with the culture, just like it was like that time and them having to like basically escape conquistadors, and they were driven into the ocean and mutated to get away from uh, colonialism. Mm. I don't know, man. It's like motherfuckers. It's like oh, it's woke. Remember we were talking about Ali. Uh, we're talking about uh, Green Arrow. Like they t- called him an ultra woke activist when he was like, "Landlord shouldn't be shitty. Green right. Lantern should care about Earth racism." You know, right. like, whoa, what volatile radical ideas! It's like, yeah, Namor not wanting to fuck with the surface world after what he's seen. Come on, it's like yeah. it, it, that's not woke. That's just logical. You know what I'm saying? So like, like two isolationist people having a secret war who's winning or losing will play out in the greater world because they're so powerful. I don't know, man. I, I I got the same feeling for the first one in that when I was all crying over the fact that like they made a $300 million movie about a bunch of Negroes with plates in their lips and throwing spears and shit. I was like, God damn. And then they didn't <laughs> denigrate it. They just made it look cool and made it look valuable. Just like swords and shields, swords and shields are just, are just as fucking anachronistic and stupid and ineffective as a fucking spear and shit would be. But like in this fantasy realm, respect these people's culture, respect their bullshit, respect the fact that their fucking spaceship looks like an African mask. Mm. Oh, come on. This is beautiful shit. 
And like, I just think when people balk at that stuff, it's just like, well, just let's do fucking King Arthur again, you cocksuckers. Let's just capitulate to that again. Let's do these goofy moss covered castles again, bitch. You think yeah. that's so fucking interesting. So, I mean, I love that. And last things last, the, the secret war angle, the, 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 the Wakandans pledge to keep Talakan uh, uh, as a fucking like myth secret yeah it's not gonna work out no it's super not gonna work out and if namor like wants to blame the wakandans for these motherfuckers finding them it's like you're ocean assholes there's celestials coming up there's mutants there's blade in a mediocre movie over here you know (laughs) there's all this shit going on you can't hide from this anymore you got to come up to the surface world and namor's first adventures just seeing him interact with the fantastic four i need it i need this one more to fuck Sue Storm. I need it. Honestly, dude, like that was my one thing about um, Riri Williams. Loved her, thought she worked. It all made sense. But I was like, God damn, if this was Reed Richards and Sue Storm and he was kidnapping Sue Storm to take her as his bride, like just the comic book nerd in me was like, oh, I need that shit. Oh, uh, dude. Oh, let's talk about some of the expectations because I do think. That like we were talking about, people like us thought they were playing 3D chess and they were going to put Okoye, or even, you know what I thought? I thought mm-hmm. Nakia, Okoye, and like somebody else were going to have Black Panther suits. Yes, I thought they were yes. going to form like a brigade. That's yeah, what I, I thought. I thought that might be the case too. I, I had that same thought or that like, yeah, that they were going to, they were all going to have different Black Panther suits or that they were going to like trade off the Black Panther suit for some reason. I was, I was waiting for it to become more of like a thing, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. what were you saying? We all had expectations. <laughs> yeah. no, we had expectations. I heard um, – I was talking to a, a sort of nerd celebrity that we know. I'm just going to keep it whatever because he was saying that like, well, he read this plot that got leaked and da-da-da-da. And it was the same one that they ended up on Reddit and it was stating that Dr. Doom was going to be in the motherfucker basically. Mm-hmm. That somehow they were going to work Dr. Doom in here as like a third uh, nation state that was like, hey, buddies, you know, you guys got problems with the other world. Let's talk about it, you know, type of thing. And – uh, I don't think that would have been that dope in this movie, but I definitely think that sort of thing being but Wakanda and maybe even Telecon, if it's if it's um, known to the regular populace at that time, and Latveria being mentioned like those mm-hmm. is a nice, easy put over device to get us into Latveria being a new world power and being rivaling these other world powers, and then yada 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 to put over Doom in another movie or a Fantastic Four movie. I think that'd be just fine. The, we, now that we have these, this evidence of secret society. Yeah, I want Doctor Doom to show up at uh, uh, Lakatan. Is that how you say it? Uh, Telecon. Uh, yeah, Telecon. I want him to just show up in his suit. His fuck cape is going right, <laughs> right. He's just, like looking dope as fuck. Yeah, right. And then he's like, "Ongi bongi, are you doing? I am a Swedish. I wanted that his voice to be chopping a chicken." He's the sweetest chef. Yeah, I want him to just have that voice, and everybody to be like, "What the fuck?" I am a sorcerer, and uh, Ron, you're triggering so many Marvel nerds right now. Just people <laughs> freaking out. That's what I want him to sound. I just want him to sound weird. You know, I just think it would be hilarious. Um, but I do think it would be dope as fuck for him to show up and uh, and and either either to Namor or to whoever, and just like. Yeah, I mean, you want to put him over, have him show up in the ocean with Namor. Namor tries to punch him, and he catches his fist and about to throws him through the ocean or some shit like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, the ocean. <laughs> I think if anything, this movie establishes some expectations for Captain America New World Order. Yeah. Mm. You know, I think already they've illuminated what that title might be referring to is that the United States is kind of freaking out at the fact that they're no longer the world superpower. Uh And I think the appearance of Latveria could only further cement that fear, you know, in a world where Wakanda exists, where they maybe have some inclination or at least Martin Freeman did and maybe, or maybe not, you know, uh, Contessa de Fontaine learned about it, you know, uh, that that Talokan exists. There's all sorts of things for the United States government to be worried about. So maybe we're going to get sort of our paranoid spy action thriller in the form of Captain America: New World Order. I mean, it's perfect. 
Well, I mean, the leader being really into the armor wars angle of it and trying mm-hmm. to manipulate everybody on the world stage or whatever is interesting to me. And I think Agent 13 being part of that too, because she's stealing, she already said that she's going to be stealing munitions and plans and different confiscated super things that she has G13, whatever they call it, G whatever the fuck access. You know, she's got super access to all this hot shit. Because she got like, what? Did she get exonerated? She flipped it and bounced it? Yeah. And now she like has access to all their shit or something. Because at the end, she gets like, she had like a Senate hearing or whatever. I mean, and they're you- like t- talking to her about like, that's fucked up. What happened to you now? You reinstate your shit. Anyway, she has access to a b- bunch of government shit and she is a power broker. She mm-hmm. is this underground person and she has access through her job to a bunch of super shit. So I think her, the leader, people like that, they're on the outskirts of whatever the Thunderbolts are doing. And then these other dudes being like, I guess, Captain America trying to deal with whatever the leader has concocted. And I don't, is, is that a two-hander with Bucky, I guess? Figure out some espionage plot? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I the leader thing is a weird angle. And I know that that's now been confirmed. That's got to be part of some bigger plot that's going on. I have mm-hmm. to say, I'm really interested now... You know, it was a pretty matter-of-fact reveal that Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character is now just the director of the CIA yeah. in this movie, which I don't, I don't know that that's underwhelming, but I definitely find my mind going, well, in the comics, she was a villain, and she was like, you know, one of the leaders of HYDRA at various points in the comics. Like, is she just going to be a morally ambiguous leader of the CIA? Or, or is she going to be HYDRA? Yeah, or I mean, I feel like if Hydra, if they go back to the Hydra well, that would be a little weird. But like, yep. is she, does she have some sort of alliance with Doom and that's how we get to him? Is she actually evil and like Thunderbolts becomes something akin to um, the original Thunderbolts run in the comics where they're, she's actually recruiting them to do something nefarious as opposed to just, you know, trying to keep the world the leader in superheroes. I, I I'm I find myself with questions and I'm sort of more annoyed by the questions than I am tantalized. <laughs> but that's just that's just a me thing. It's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, just, all, everything yeah. you said there, I was like, that's totally interesting. I would love to find out all of that. That sounds great. Um I I you know, I have no idea what they're gonna do with her. I, I wonder, um, are we gonna get to see some Zemo? What about mutants? Like, are they introducing them hardcore or are they waiting? I I, I just think it's it's all it's all uh, up well, in let's, the air. Well, let's talk about Namor being a mutant because I yeah. do think people of the the neckbeards are up in arms about like. And some of my actually one of my buddies from Kansas City, he was like, "Man, they're just gonna use that fucking um undersea vibranium and shit to like make it to where like that makes all the mutants and stuff." And then like I think he's concerned about Wakanda not being special, like that they're gonna use like vibranium to kind of be like trigger everybody's mutations going forward. I don't think that's true. I think it's more useful as this weird element to fight over than some sort of MacGuffin for mutantdom. Really? You know what I'm saying? I think Namor is a special case, which is why he's the first mutant, which is the shit, by the way, that is the shit. He says imperious Rex and he's the first mutant. If you read comics and yes, some comics suck, but all the good ones, he says imperious Rex and he fucking kicks ass and he has antagonism towards the surface world. And they did it in this movie. Yeah, I find it very hard to have any complaints about Namor in this movie. <laughs> Honestly, he was awesome. Dude, his name, where it comes from and all that shit. Oh, that was I so mean, dope. That they was made so Namor, they made, dope. They made Namor cooler than he is in the comics. Although they basically did what they usually do. They plucked cool parts from different stuff. I thought it was awesome. One thing I did want to talk about was, uh, okay, the Contessa being this amorphous sub Amanda Waller thing right. that they that they got going, I get that people are like underwhelmed by that. That's one of the few things that is actually under fucking whelming me. I love her as a performer. I, I just want to kiss her cheeks and just fucking just have her dance to Elaine Bennis dance and then do some lines from Veep. I just basically want her to be a puppet <laughs> for my amusement. And she's like a Tony winning actress and I really should adjust my associations. Um, uh, but I just, she's so dope. She's so wonderful. And they just got her doing what the old bitch from Glee could do. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yes. like, you know, some of these character actor people that people like so much. Jane Lynch, I think is her name. Yeah. Somebody like that could be doing this flow from the fucking 
insurance commercials could do this role. You know what I, I mean? That's no, my honestly, biggest complaint about our character. Presley. Okay. I am I am 110% behind that. And I think that is better articulated than what I said earlier. But that's exactly what I'm feeling is like, you don't bring in Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is a modern treasure, like one mm-hmm. of our great working actresses, and just have her snark her way through a bunch of cameos. Like, you got to be giving her something better to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so far, I just having no inclination of what the hell that could be. That's why I find myself frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah, what we've got is that she's basically constructing the Thunderbolts. I don't know if I don't know if Baron Zemo can like lead them because he's a weird fugitive. So maybe they'll be like trying to look for him and then they'll catch him and then he'll work with them, which seems to be Zemo's thing. Like, catch me and then I will work with you. I will help you. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? After you catch me, that seems to be his thing. So maybe they'll do that. But like what the Thunderbolts are trying to do, I just I just really wish they'd be like, yo, the Thunderbolts movie, realistically, it is a special that we did on TV. And it sets up what they're going to do in Captain America 4. They're going to fight Captain America, all those motherfuckers, versus Captain America and Bucky. And that's what they got to deal with. They got a whole team against them. And one of them could turn into a ghost. One of them does this. One of them does that. And the Falcon and Winter Soldier got to handle those motherfuckers. That's a movie for your ass. That's like a John Wick movie. But they're not going to do it. They got them fighting the leader. And I, I, I don't know how you militarize that. Which is maybe the the screenwriting challenge? Yeah, I mean that's why I, that's why I say I think the leader is not a red herring, but like it, it doesn't end with the leader. Like the leader yeah. is, can't just be the only antagonist of that movie. I well, who his muscle? His muscle. I'm blanking on who his muscle could be realistically, and maybe if people would IMDb and be like, oh, well, it's going to be obviously the fucking Snake King from those goofy motherfuckers with diamond back in them, but whatever the you- fuck. You might be onto something with that idea that, like, maybe the leader, true to his name, is co-opted by uh, the Contessa to lead the Thunderbolts. And if you look at the release schedule, Captain America 4 and Thunderbolts are being released back-to-back, with Captain Mm. America being the first movie. Maybe it is some sort of a two-parter, and they just, you know, Mm. they're going to drop that on us later. I could be super sick. Like the Thunderbolts mission, kill Bucky and the and and fucking the Captain America. And it's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and like our boys are the they're the heroes in the first movie and the antagonists in the second movie. And we're I mean, that, rooting for these guys to kill them because they suck. That'd be kind. Of, I don't know about that. I don't know if you could pull that <laughs> off. But like, it would be kind of kick ass if if it, the, if structurally it's kind of set up like Infinity War and Endgame. Where mm-hmm. in Captain America New World Order, the Thunderbolts at least think they succeed in like killing uh, Sam and Bucky and, you know, setting themselves up as the new version of the Avengers. And now, you know, they're on the world stage as sort of the don't fuck with the US, you know, deterrent. Mm-hmm. And then in Thunderbolts, Cap and Bucky are underground and they go to rally Wakanda and maybe Talokan or whatever against the Thunderbolts, you know? Yeah. Like, That'd be kind of dope. Well, I think I, I think like three people from Telecon and a couple Dora Milaje could fuck up the Thunderbolts. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, again, there ha- you would think there's something else to it, but I I don't know. It's I I find it hard to put the pieces together in my own head. Also, keeping in mind that Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania is the next movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So, like at this point, the Kang hammer will have been dropped, and we have no idea what the repercussions of that is going to be. So, I mean, maybe somehow that threads into these into these other characters. Like Kang is going to be in the background for a while, but who knows? I I'm really itching for one of these movies is to have Shuri show up in it as Black Panther as like kind of a contagonist, like be like, all right, what, what the fuck are you guys doing? Mm. I'm on a mission doing some shit. You fucking up my shit with all this Avengers and all this. You guys, you guys gotta be quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. you guys don't have vibranium souls like me. So like calm your shit down and like, okay, don't get in my way. Oh, you got in my way. I'm going to fuck you up, man. You know what I mean? Like her really being like, again, Black Panther has always been, I think that's what we should talk about here. Because, like, as a kid, and I'm going to be brutally honest, as a kid, Black Panther was always more interesting as an idea than as a character. Once he got to me, 
besides the apocryphal first stories of like him beating up the Fantastic Four, which you know made my little black heart sing, and then uh, him being in like I think Dennis Cowan and goddamn I'm not remembering the writer right now, but Dennis Cowan drew a fucking mini series. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Priest. Um, and it, it wasn't uh, Reginald Hudlin either. Anyway, it was back in the days. Uh, maybe it was, it might have been McDuffie. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it was a series where white supremacists more or less took over Wakanda, fucked this whole shit up, and Black Panther using like his regular, I can lift 800 pounds and run as fast as a car type superpowers had to defeat all these guys. And one of them was like a Superman analog. One of them was low-key like the Juggernaut. One of them was like a tracker. And one of them was some other bullshit. And he like just used his wits and his mitts to defeat the fuck out of these guys. And it just put him over so much in my head. I was like, that's who he is. And frankly, I've never gotten that on screen because he doesn't, he's got so much accoutrement, even in his first appearance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's catching 50 caliber bullets in his chest. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he's handling Bucky's robotic arm better than Steve could. He runs faster than Steve. It's documented. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, He's a bad mofo right from the get-go. Yeah. And I just never got this undermanned but more intelligent than them guy. He's more intelligent than them. That's why he's never undermanned in the MCU, which I can't hate on, but it's a different thing. And see, here's an interesting point that has kind of been bugging me for a while that I think fits into everything you just said. This Secret Invasion TV series that they're doing for Disney+. Plus is such a ripe opportunity for sort of the street-level espionage corner of the Marvel Universe to cross over with the cosmic corner of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just don't think they're going to spend the money or waste the appearances and whatever contracts to actually bring like the big stars into that TV series. I feel like it's going to be a little bit more of a hermetically sealed story and that pisses me off because that would be the perfect place for Shuri to come in mm -hmm. as like someone who is literally from an isolated part of the world that maybe is not or maybe even is affected by the Skrull's secret invasion mm -hmm. and start doing exactly what you're doing. All right, this is how we're going to deal with this shit. You guys don't know what's up. I'm going to tell you what's up and becoming like an integral part of figuring that whole thing out. Mm -hmm. But again, I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the scrolls coming to Wakanda in the comic books was a real fuckaroonie. It was a huge uh, thing. Yeah, they found out. They found out real quick. That, you know, I mean, they both found out about each other. The Wakandas found out the scrolls ain't nothing to fuck with. Scrolls found out Wakandas ain't nothing to fuck with. They was it was a really cool battle. And I think that's another thing about um the the Submariner going forward and Black Panther. I would love, honestly, for them to be a little tied together, and they're like. We're mm -hmm. the two people outside of your superhero machinery. I would love for that to be a dyad going forward. I don't know yeah. how feasible it is or whatever, but like, I would love for that to be a dyad going forward on some level. Like, and they like he, she like is going to hate him until she dies on some level, yeah. but still have to have use for him and still have to keep up her end of the bargain of keeping him and his people safe because, because they're all, you know, the, the the vibranium gang, you know what I'm saying? Like the vibranium gang got to stick together. Yep. You know, I think that's just so interesting a status quo thing. So like her being an international world travel guy, maybe uh, him popping up on one of her adventures, she'd be like, "No more, what the fuck you doing?" It's like ah, I just had to swim off the river and tell you something. You know, like they, they got a low key like you know werewolf vampire relationship. <laughs> hey, listen, I think the uh, Fantastic Four movie is a great opportunity for uh, that relationship to appear again and then evolve into something new, just because I would love how that, how resonant that would be with the comics, which was yeah. originally where we met both of those characters in the modern era. Dude, and they obviously both have like a long history with the fantastic four. Shuri's black Panther and the more damn, that's so interesting that that could be a really interesting first movie. And then all the nerds would be like, no, <laughs> I want Doom! And it's like, <laughs> you get Doom because Namor is fucking with the surface world. Homegirl's trying to pull her boyfriend basically off of the surface world, but also not side with the surface world because fuck him. Mm. You know, I mean, fuck all you guys trying to steal my vibranium. And that's a weird kind of trinity of shit. And then Latveria pops up like, 
looks like you got some motherfuckers throwing ocean bombs up in your shit trying to drown y'all. I'll tell you who got the solution. Me and my doom bots. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like, it's like he's like a, a world power. Like we were talking about earlier, Leveria appearing on the scene as a world power to help out. You know what I mean? Agreed. And not even being a bad guy, not even being a fearsome bad guy, like them showing up as a world power and helping out the good guys, the people that we, the people that the populace would see are the good guys, even if it's the wrong team. Agreed with that. And I think that my suspicion is that the reason Armor Wars got upgraded from a Disney Plus series to a full-on feature film hmm. is because they're going to introduce Doom in that movie. And oh, sick. I mean, I, that is my suspicion because obviously that movie is going to be dealing with this whole arms race, you know, that that mm-hmm. Vibranium plays into. And so I think, you know, if the if the status quo at the end of that movie is the appearance of Latveria as a world power, then like Latveria versus Wakanda versus Talokan with the Fantastic Four trying to play peacemakers in the middle would be an interesting debut for the F4. I mean, it would put yeah. them right in the middle of like serious business, and like the Avengers would be like, "You sure you guys?" are like, "Hey, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, well, we're, that, we're doing it." We're I mean, that almost goes it. that almost goes back to our rebooted pitch for the Fantastic Four, where it's like <laughs> if the Avengers are taken out or somehow incapacitated early on in the story, and then it's like the Fantastic Four are literally the only possible solution to avert a World War Three situation. That's kind of cool. Oh, you know, you know what, what? What could go into it? I, I was there's a spitball in here. Shuri kicking their ass to show them they're not really ready for all the shit that they're talking about, mm. and like she kind of shows up as like a drill sergeant to be mm. like, "Look, you fucking noobs! Would you? Oh, you got bendy arms, bitch! <laughs> oh, and well, you over there? I see you, bitch! I see you! I just flip my my infrared on or whatever. I see your fucking ass." And I just whooped the rock guy's ass for no reason. I judoed him out the window. He's going to come back up the stairs, I guess. So we'll talk to him in five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, she just whooped the fucking Fantastic Four's ass to, like, tell them, you guys ain't ready. I used to be with the dudes who was ready, and they still got their ass kicked. Mm. We got to get ready to do some shit. I think that'd be a nice role for her, like, to kind of put her over more as a real tactical smart guy. Fucking Nightwinger. We got a Nightwing this way. Nightwing this bitch. Nightwing. <laughs> yeah, I, look, there's a lot of interesting ground to tread. And like I said, the, the only apprehension I have right now is it's so murky to me where things might be going. Aside from the whole uh, Vibranium tech arms race, I, I feel like I can see that thread and how it can carry through multiple movies. But beyond that, it's like, I just don't know how this, how or where this is all going to add up. And maybe that's exciting, you know? Maybe yeah. that's better than knowing that all roads lead to Thanos. I, you know what? I think that is an, a, is an appropriate thing for us to, as we dismount here, to talk about. Because there is a new Marvel. And I've been trying to tell these motherfuckers they're going to be funny and stupid for five years. Now, that's obviously an overstatement. But it is this kind of after you have this cathartic Thanos shit, you can't just jump right back into that. I think people just thought that Doom was going to show up, pop out of the, the the corpse of Thanos's asshole or out of his ashes or something to be like, hey, I'm Doom. I'm the next guy. We're yeah. going to fight. Right. Yeah. I think all the neckbeards wanted that. And it just that sucks. It doesn't make any sense. There's got to be these periods of status quo that can lead to these greater dudes and shit like Kang and whatnot. I just think that's the smarter way to go and to build up Kang. And Kang is not, Kang's going to die five or six times. I'm telling you guys right now. I you guys so. already know it. He's going to die five or six times if they know what to, what's good for him. Because you can't stop him. He's a Hydra from the fucking future. Yep. That's a whole new threat yeah. across multiple movies and multiple universes even. That's what's so beautiful about Kang. They could milk Kang forever if they want to. And to, to enter these weird little status quo. So, like, I'm really excited that I don't know exactly down to the letter what the fuck is going to happen, you know, with all these characters. I'm kind of really excited about that. And it takes a time to build that up. 
and they threw you some She-Hulks and some Winter Soldiers, things that frankly didn't seem all that consequential, really didn't seem to move the universe forward, but they moved certain characters forward. And we got to represent this espionage level of the world. I think a lot of people shit on the espionage level of the Marvel Universe. And to me, that's the most important part because DC don't even have one. Right. They don't even have one. It's the closest thing to street level that they've done in the Marvel movies. And mm-hmm. now, you know, we have this promise that, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil are going to meet and we've got Blade coming and Moon Knight is doing who knows what. But like mm-hmm. to this point, the closest thing to street level, which is Marvel's bread and butter, have been the espionage stories. So, like, I would say that that's kind of the foundation of the Marvel Universe. Also, that was where the Russo brothers matriculated from. And, Mm -hmm. like, they went on to become, you know, arguably the most important writer-directors for Marvel. So, like, it really is the foundation on which the MCU is built. And I'm happy to see that it looks like that's going to continue to be a big story driver moving forward. And like we talked about early in this conversation, I like the fact that they are really considering, you know, some of the quote unquote realistic responses to all the wild shit that's been happening within their fictional universe and how that would affect things like geopolitics. So I would say that black Panther Wakanda forever definitely jazzes me up to just see where that goes and I, you know, I just wish we were getting there quicker, I guess, is where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ron, what's your final statement? Oh, you know what I'd really like to see is some more rollerblading in, in these MCU movies. <laughs> that's, that's really what I need to see. Hey, listen, not to cut you off, but uh, I just read a report that one of the creators of John Wick is now developing a Streets of Rage movie. Fun fact, Streets of Rage, based on the Sega game from the 90s. Rollerblading. Mm-hmm. Features a character named Skate who does kung fu on rollerblades. Yep. I know. Oh. I know. Hope to God, we see that in the movie. God, oh my gosh. I'll play him. Shit, let me play him. <laughs> I believe the character's black, but still, I, oh, I support That's true. Yes, he actually is. Yes. All right. We're going to get your Robert Downey Jr. on. We got to get you some of those oh, no, melanin tablets. Good. I'm good. That the I'm Punisher good. took in that one comic. Yeah, oh, no. God. Dude, the. Oh, we got to get you some soul man juice. Come on. You, you want to get canceled, don't you? <laughs> so much. So much. Can't wait. Uh, look, I loved uh, – I love. I really had a great time with this movie. And what I like so much about it is that it has opened up a bunch of questions and ideas of what could be, what could be happening going forward. And it's one of my favorite things to do and to talk with you guys about in general and talk with other nerd people about is where is it going to go? What are our theories? Who do we think was, you know, who's next? Who, you know, all that fun stuff. I really love that. And I feel like this movie started a lot of conversations. And and uh, and that's what I want to do. And it also made some incels mad. And I love when incels are mad. So. <laughs> well, uh, as my final thoughts on it, I do think that there is something that happens when you have to do something as a filmmaker, like whatever, like your location is lost, your actor dies, your fucking whole shit house comes down and you have to reformat something you've maybe already done to acquiesce to this present thing. I think there is an energy to that. And I think some people have felt it as it is a little indulgent, like Bill was talking about. I kind of seem to feel it as almost like this necessary I think all of the drama in the world wouldn't work unless they luxuriated in the sadness a little bit. I mean, and not, and maybe too much, but it's, it's all, you know, it's like a little bit too much salt, a little bit too yeah. much paprika, you know, it's, it's, it's all ingredients, but I think it allowed them to go. Yes. A real tragedy happened. Yes. The tragedy evolved the main dude. Yes. This is the world without him. Fucking deal with it. And I feel like that part of it, is a metaphor for the MCU proper after Thanos. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, that shit is over. Okay? Yep. Your boyfriend, Josh Brolin, is gone. Okay? He's not coming back. Nutchin's not coming back. Okay? And guess what? You ain't gonna never see the Guardians of the Galaxy as good as they were before. I think James Gunn has lost the rope a little bit. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm super wrong. But some of these things are gone. Some of these like monuments that we blew for 12 years straight are super gone. Tony Stark, all the guys that are gone. But even some of that way of storytelling is gone. 
But what remains, if Wakanda is an example of some of what they're trying to do in the future, you're going to get these movies that are packed with shit, maybe some shit you don't think you need. But again, Age of Ultron had so many storylines and characters introduced, and it still hangs together and it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a work of its time. And even if Wakanda is is that, that's fucking fine. Because we're talking about an overall machine. But even as this singular piece of art, I got to say, it juggled a bunch of shit pretty well to me. And just nobody ever expected Shuri in our lifetime to have to be become the Black Panther. I refuse to think that they thought about that yep. shit at all. Correct. And this this being the, oh, Leia's your sister. You know what I'm saying? This being yeah. this, this magic pivot that changes things and then being able to execute it this well. I think it deserves its respect. It deserves its its white robe uh, uh, fucking funeral because it really did that, as the kids say. Yeah, it really did. I think it's also worth noting this is the last entry in phase four of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And people have talked before about how the overlying theme of phase four seems to be like grief and moving on between WandaVision, Loki, even Doctor Strange, mm. Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America huh. and the Winter Soldier yeah. series. I mean, that is the thread that binds all of these different entries into phase four as kind of scattershot as you can argue maybe they've been and so this one capping off that section of the story as kind of being the ultimate meditation on grief that marvel has done so far feels appropriate so on to new and exciting things it seems and speaking of new exciting things I'd love to get a new fucking review of this podcast on uh, Apple or Spotify I would love it I would love it. I would love to read it on air. Yeah. yeah. Also, we love to read the emails that you send to us at email the greatest pod uh, at gmail.com. Email right. the greatest pod at gmail.com. That's how you email us. We'd love to read some of those on air. And last things last, I'd love for you to join our Patreon because we get nuts on there, baby. We, re- we really do a lot of story craft. People have said that it, it rivals this feed. So. There you go. We talk about real personal things. We get weird as fuck. You get to hear all the voices. Nightwing is just the beginning. Thank you for joining our secret society of the greatest. Bye.